Welcome back to the Campaign Builder. I'm Dan. And I'm Adam. We know that your campaign will be different than ours, but listen to how we use the idea of dynamic encounters to add unique scenarios to our sessions. We're designing encounters for a generic party of the following five archetypes. Warrior, Priest, Mage, Criminal, and Outdoorsman. And they're all very low level. They've just defeated a guild of criminals and liars that they had chased to a neighboring city, and now they're back at their home, awaiting their next orders. This entire series, as well as other series on role-playing games, are available on the It's a Mimic feed on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and many other podcast apps. So don't forget to follow or subscribe on whatever app you're listening to. Also, check out the entire library of episodes on www.itsamimic.com and feel free to support us by hitting that donate button. Anyways, that's enough of the shameless promotion. Let's get to building. So Adam, the journey home is often filled with random encounters and arrival to our home is met with rewards and a little downtime as the head of our guild in our story is traveling with a caravan to talk with our chapter. When they meet, everyone is ordered to saddle up and head back to the jingling city that they were just at in a large caravan. This is going to make for interesting encounters. This is going to make for a little bit of a challenge for a DM. Um, and it's where we find ourselves in our campaign. Yeah, look, we left off having just just had some sort of victory and said, oh, there's all these cool, fun, crazy downtime activities that you can do in the sense of catharsis and reward. And and we, we talked about that, but we didn't get back to town here because there were days of travel. It's random encounters. We don't need to hit the dynamic encounters for these because these aren't plot points. We've had our downtime and we've been waiting for the leader of our guild, the head. Yeah. Not Tremblay, not the not the owner of the chapter house, but like this is our version of our merchant king has shown up. Yeah. And as probably is as spoken with our with our players and said, hey, you know what? I've got this group. I'm thinking Game of Thrones in the first episode of the very first season of Game of Thrones where they're, they've got that entire Lannister army marches north and there's just a shit ton of them. There are hundreds and hundreds and yep. hundreds of people. We're dealing with this, but with merchants now, right? Sandspit will be bursting at the seams. Most of them won't even come into Sandspit. They'll stay at the crossroads, right? Yeah. And Tremblay, of course, uh, the, the town has been in a riot, right? Tremblay's shop is one of probably the better off structures, although it didn't get away unscathed. So we've we've gone through all of this. The world is still in turmoil because the gods have gone missing. The temple is, I don't know, closed or open in a limited fashion or... It's still smoldering. Yeah. Like, who knows what, <laughs> what's going on in, in the campaign right now? Um, but we... These are details. These are plot details that are not dynamic encounters so we're just skipping on to the next part where we're like what is the unique factor here where we can add new and interesting complicated encounters for our players to to kind of be thrown a new look at at adventure and we thought that the caravan is a really cool unique opportunity because it's not like the escort mission was way back at level one we're at level four now we've leveled up and it's not a bunch of five plucky adventurers with a single potions merchant no we've got an army on the march what does that look like Yeah, and it's a massive entourage that you've got around with you, which is why I said earlier it's going to be a bit of a challenge for a DM because if you start throwing combat encounters and there's a hundred militiamen with swords, woof, I don't care how experienced you are as a DM, that's rough. There are certain things about traveling in a large group that 
we need to be aware of. Um, and I know, Adam, I've prepped a couple uh, ideas here that make a large group different than traveling in a small a small group. Do you want to roll initiative? I know you've got a couple prepped as well of these ideas. So do you want to roll initiative and we'll talk about what we find is our difficulties or even what just makes it different when you're traveling in a large group? Absolutely. Sure. Let's roll it. <laughs> Finally, I got an 18. Oh, shit. Guess what? I also got an 18. All right, we're rolling off. <laughs> I got an 18. I got a 15. You know what? I swapped out dice between the last episode and, and this episode, and I'm very happy about it. Nice. That's probably a good idea. You were rolling like horseshit. I don't know how horseshit rolls, but I will assume that, that I was rolling like it. It doesn't. <laughs> I was rolling like splat. You were rolling like splat. So um, the first thing off the top of my head, the thing that, that the biggest difference here is that you're not going to have the opportunities for combat. You just aren't. Any combat that rears its head, if there's an owl bear that comes out of the woods, there are going to be three arrows in it before you can roll initiative. You've got way too many other people, and these are these are people traveling, so they're armed, right? You've got guards, and, and not just guards, but servants. You've got tons of people walking around, a million eyes that are out and about. When you go down for the night, it's not who's on watch. It's, it's just go to sleep. You're surrounded by trusted people and, and friends, and there are those 30 guys doing their patrols. We stop at sundown to put up the pavilions, not to pitch a tent, right? So while there's not the opportunity for combat, you've got way more opportunity for role-playing. Yeah. And I think that for me as a dungeon master, my random tables for this steers away from the, the carrion crawler that pops out of the ground and comes at you. And it turns into who are the people that, that are around that are going to walk up to you and ask you for help with something or give you a piece of information or want to hear your story or look for look for information from you even, right? I, mean, I, I would come up with, with groups of random encounters for, for guards, for other merchants, for servants, mm -hmm. For the the leaders of the guild, uh, how many leaders are with the the head of the guild and Tremblay? Because everybody, like, we're moving on mass. This is not the entire guild, but it's a significant portion of them. Th this is this is huge. This is yep. absolutely massive. Think about the number of carriages and carts uh, that they are going to require in order to just move the amount of food needed to feed these people. How many different people are there to talk to that are driving carts? There are so many opportunities to have interesting, unique role-playing encounters. And a dungeon master should sit down and look at the logistics of a massive caravan like this and say, this is a city on the move. What can we do here out in the desert with an entire city that's not bedraggled? You're not in charge. You are one of the trusted and a little bit kind of famous and you're on your home turf. Like you've been down this road literally like days ago. And people will be looking to you for a little bit of guidance, but you're not in control. You're not calling the shots. This is a way different power dynamic, and uh, and that's excellent for role-playing opportunities. When you have these massive caravans walking across whatever terrain you're dealing with, every single person in that caravan has a job. It's not necessarily caravan guard. You could be one of these cooks, one of these ways of these other people. And there's going to be someone there who's going to want you to maintain whatever it is you need to maintain as your role in this journey. I view this as there's a, there's going to be a little bit of downtime involved here where you're 
players actually have a job. And I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Combat isn't going to be much of a thing other than like little personal scraps once camp is struck. And, uh, you know, maybe someone needs to blow off some steam. So there's a little bit of a fighting group going on or something like someone just some sparring going on in the corner. But what you do have in the day to day is you have people who are drivers, who are cooks, who are cartwrights and, and, and navigators. And like, there's so many things for your players to be able to do during this time. So definitely give them the options of what exactly they, what their nine to five looks like while they're doing a large, long scale journey with a large group. And keep in mind as well that a group this large takes time to get moving and takes time to shut down. So expect to spend twice as much time on the road as you had traveling with a small group. You're going to have the opportunity to interact with all of these different people that you're talking about. So one of the things that I wanted to bring up is, is the average beast out in the wilderness is not going to mess with your party. There may be a couple of more intelligent creatures out there. Uh, I love manticores because they've got a language and they've got an intelligence and, and there's yep. there's a strategy to them. They may pick off the straggler in the forest who just stepped off the path for a minute to go to the bathroom. And then, hey, no one's no one's seen Brad for like 10 days, hey? Like, I, was, was he, is he with you guys now? Right? And like, th there are some predators that would be around, but I'm thinking about what what creatures, what animals w would be attracted to a group? You're still going to have um, stray dogs and uh, there will be seagulls or whatever the D&D version of that may be circling overhead to pick up all of the, the pieces that are left behind, every discarded chicken bone. There, I would expect that there are still a number of rats that have worked their their way into the into the carriages and whatnot. Yeah. Like, you still have a lot of scavengers around. There will be creatures that are coming to check you out and maybe not even just like see i went with small animals but i'm thinking your deinonychus your velociraptor level dinosaur as well maybe coming out of the yep. woodwork to just there's they're scavengers but they like to pick off small animals someone wakes up to find their pack mule has been slaughtered and is half eaten right in the middle of the night and there are a number of different tracks leading away again like there are definitely going to be animals that are attracted to as well as animals that are uh, repelled by a group moving of this size so think about what else is going on um as far as your your animals go and let's not just keep it with donkeys and horses this is a fantastical setting why where are your dire camels moving through your <laughs> your freaking um your freaking desert scenario and i always say dire but there's also the giant type as well you can have giant camels mm -hmm. dire camels it'd be interesting to have some sort of fantastical thing this the eight-legged camel right the the arachna camel go outside yeah. of the box it's a fantasy setting get weird with your animals what what does the desert in our scenario, maybe it's the Arctic or the swamp for you. What kind of crazy fantastical beast, what kind of challenges would animals need to get over? And what kind of what kind of weird ways would they evolve to do that? Or be straight up created by wizards. It doesn't have to make a whole shit ton of sense, right? You could just have had some crazy wizard or some warlock with the great old one patron is just like, you know what? I'm going to devote my life to merging beholders and squirrels. We're going to see how this works out. Right, like you can go a little nuts with your with your creatures and because <laughs> squirrels, I get it. I gotta say real quick that the idea of an eight legged camel is a terrifying thing. 
especially if you go, what other features of a spider could a camel have? And it's like a camel with eight eyes and eight legs and mandibles. And now this is just the grossest creature that I definitely want to see in my D&D game. Uh, and but it's got like a, a giant hump, like, like like the back itself. It's got this weird carapace, but it's got like seven humps on the back of it. Like it's just it. This thing is just weird looking, but it's great for for pulling like not just carts, but like it could pull buildings through the sand. Right, like this thing is going to be built for the desert and and yeah. up and down cliffs and stuff. Yeah, no, I like this. I love it. No. And and it's like the most terrifying, visually unappealing thing. That we've ever put forth in this in this podcast or anything else, but it's completely domesticated. Like there is there is there is some little like uh, child that's with the caravan that loves it and like insists on feeding it its daily ration of oh I don't know small dogs. <laughs> that's that's gross. Anyways, uh, so for my last one here is the difficulty. That is going to come with a large group as opposed to if it was just your party of five adventurers on horseback. Um, and that is carts, dealing with carts, dealing with wagons, dealing with vehicles and the variety of terrain that we mentioned in last week's podcast will offer a bunch of different difficulties for your group because if you have a massive uh caravan like the one we have in our campaign with this with this where we're at in this arc you're not getting across the chasm easily you're not getting across massive geological features easily and often you'll have ways within the caravan itself to get through those and your players your characters might have to be the ones that innovate these things so if you hit a chasm, it's your party that's building the bridge. If you have a uh, cliff that you have to get to the bottom of, well, it's it's your party creating the pulley system to lower the carts down to the bottom of the cliff. Let's be honest. You got that one merchant, as Adam does in every single city, that he does ropes. Ropes are his thing. So you got ropes. We got ropes for days. So So don't worry about the ropes. But... You still got to figure out how to get a cart or one of these eight-legged camel monstrosities to the... Bo- I could probably just walk down the cliff. It's huge and it's part spider, so it could do it. So, But like getting your pack animals down to the bottom of a cliff. These are all things that you need to be aware of as a DM and as a player that could affect your large group way more then it'll affect your small group. Look, in defense of the ropes merchant, by the way, it's because there's lots of different kinds of rope at differing lengths and differing thicknesses. And especially when it comes to water travel, your your ropes are really going to matter and ropes degrade over time. So there's consistently a market for it. And also there's probably a rope merchant over in the red light district. The other difficulty we have with them, and and, uh, we're going to move on to the conversation here a little bit, is something that we like to kind of reinforce with our planning process, always have in mind with our planning process. It is the three pillars of D&D, of exploration, roleplay, and combat. And we know that when you have this large-scale group, sometimes some of these pillars are going to be harder to address than others, Um, especially if it's this large group and you're constantly traveling, having some combat's going to be rough, having some exploration's going to be rough. When you're planning this, Adam, what are some new challenges that DMs face while prepping for like large envoy travel? Let's grab the dice sure. and let's roll again here. Yep. I threw my dice outside of the box. Give me a second. Ah, 
Ah, 17. Uh, I got a three. Okay. What I have is, um, depending on the size of the group, you might be willing as a DM to try to throw some combat in there. Uh, Maybe if it's a smaller caravan, but you have the NPCs. So you are going to try to build an encounter that's still challenging with the NPCs in mind. And the second you start getting into that, you start overreaching with CRs. And often I find this turns into a deadly crippling combat encounter. Combat, very specifically when it comes to large envoys, is very hard to do. So what I tend to want to do when I'm when I'm trying to throw some sort of combat um, at a group, whether it's a ambush from um, rebellious militiamen on the side of the road that don't like the group your party is associated with, or it's a large wild beast attracted by the vibrations, noise, and the smell of your pack animals. Um, Whatever the reason is, when I'm having a combat, I tend to under CR it and make the combat relatively easy because now your party not only has to battle with a straight one-on-one fight, they also have to worry about what's going on with the NPCs and how do we save them and make sure we don't have any casualties. So one of the challenges is you're going to face is overreaching your CRs. The fix is Always under CR your combat encounters when it comes to an envoy. I have a solution to that, by the way. Oh, yeah! If you've got a bunch of NPCs, look, I've run, I've run entire maps full of NPCs all at once. Have all the NPCs go together. Roll to see how many of them hit. Don't roll for each one of them to hit, and have your creature itself have a massive negative. Uh, to their initiative order so that everybody gets a round in early, and you can then see as a dungeon master. Do I have enough hit points for three rounds of combat, four rounds of combat, eight rounds of combat? How did this first round work out? If the monster goes last and the players have blown their big opening moves, their giant spells and their, the, the the warrior is is raging and doing all these crazy combat maneuvers and whatnot. And, you know, your, your criminal has snuck up behind them and stabbed them in the pressure points and all that. And everybody's doing their big crazy thing that they've done. And you've only dropped a tenth of your hit points. Now is the time to adjust your hit point maximum or now is the time to say you know what it's going to retreat at 40 percent of the hit points so i by having it come in later in the initiative you have a better idea of of what you're going to be able to see you'll be more flexible um when you when you finally do see what you're dealing with at the table and you're also going to see how many attacks it gets how many npcs it's going to kill and so on and so forth right and if it is too deadly focus on the npcs so that the players are doing a defense and rescue as opposed to a straight up toe to toe combat. So that would be that would be my answer. My first one actually directly ties into that and I just spoke to this a moment ago. Keeping the pacing is hard. With a large envoy like this with a huge caravan, keeping your pacing where the idea that there's always movement, but you're not just bogged down in it, and yet the travel still matters, this is difficult. And so what I like to do is I like to determine what the span of time is. And I like to break that up into um, random encounters where your players are rolling dice to determine how much time has passed before the next random encounter hits. Whether that random encounter is yeah. role-playing or exploration or or it is combat, right? Maybe something is, is coming up. I think it's going to be rare with the large convoy of our size. But have them roll to see how many hours go by or how many parts of the day go by or how many days go by if it's a long trip right that way they can track and see how long it's been and once they go if you say hey there's there's five days of travel 
then you know that there are 120 hours to get through. Once they have rolled a cumulative um, amount of hours above and beyond 120, then they got to their location. The end. We don't we don't have that final random encounter. You guys made it. Yeah. Here you go. And it's going to keep your travel feeling fresh and interesting. Pacing is key, especially in combat as well when you're an initiative, which is why I say roll all the monsters together, roll all the NPCs together so that your players are only sitting there twice in initiative to, to see what's happening. Even if there are different kinds of NPCs, I just roll them all together to see what happens. And I know what my averages are. And I say, here we go. On average, this is what's happening. You guys will sway the battle one way or the other, but they're doing minimal amounts of damage. And, and this is kind of what we can expect every yeah. round. For me, it is always easy to throw a social encounter into a caravan and and really lean heavily on the social role-playing pillar to make the time pass in in my caravans and this is this can be a bit of a problem if you have characters who are not social if you have players who are not that social leaning too heavily on the social side of things is is a significant danger for me when I build these things. So I know it's going to be significant danger for some of the people out there as well. The remedy to this, of course, is to try to have engaging NPCs, but mix it up. Have these NPCs have more than just a story to tell. Um, some of them, like I mentioned earlier, will have a practical job. They have a role that they might want the PCs to help with so there are these little side quests that can go out they're more than just someone for the bard or the high charisma rogue or the sorcerer or the warlock to chat to for 20 minutes around the table have some variety have some um avenues to explore like other uh, pillars in, including the exploration pillar like this is an awesome opportunity for you to hit that exploration pillar hard have them solving puzzles, have them repairing things, have them trying to figure out interesting solutions through, have them maybe try to figure out a way that the caravan can go that would shave some time off. There are different things you could do here and focusing too much on your social players is going to make your anti-social players feel left out, bored, and disconnected from the game. I guess the the last thing that that I wanted to touch on is your exploration pillar really falls by the wayside. When you're in a giant convoy like this, you're going to have some real issues going out to do things. I mean, they've come prepared for travel en masse. There's obviously money behind it. You don't need to go out and, and find the nearest watering hole because they've brought barrels carts of fresh water with them they knew they were going on the desert this was planned you don't need to go hunting there's already food so in order for you to have these kind of um uh exploration encounters what i like to do is i like to create a desperate need scouts that are ahead maybe there's a calamity a cart breaks you need to sit back with them while it gets repaired and now you need to catch up with everybody else but there's a storm or a landslide that separates you right momentary little bits and pieces where you get separated from the caravan and then get brought back to it again. I think that this is key to getting your players to feel like heroes and not just grunts or mooks, right? Like they, they can actually go out into the wilderness to accomplish things. There's something sparkling over in the distance over there. We need to find out what that is. But why are they sending your players? 
Yeah. Right. Why are they not sending somebody else? And so what I, my answer to that is I think that there's a duty roster. There's a rotation and your guys know when they're going to get downtime and they know when they're going to be on active duty. And you can actually work through some of the travel time by just saying, you know what? You guys have done your, your 10 hours. You have 14 hours off. You need to sleep and eat. But what else do you want to do in those 14 hours? And then you're rolling yep. random encounters during the next 10 hours. And then it's 14 hours off again. And so you can you can hit this cycle. And that level of, of uh, cyclical thinking as well is going to make this feel like days are passing. And time is moving forward. So that that's my suggestion. We want to get away from the group. But you need to know why your guys are being targeted to do this kind of thing. Keeping in mind, you guys just took down Lachlan's lot as well. The yeah. the head of the guild is going to have more questions for you and pull you guys in. This is your home turf. Tremblay is yeah the- is is the local you know chapter leader here. You guys are already in the center of attention to some degree, but you got to become even more so because players don't show up to hear NPCs do awesome things. Exactly. So we've talked about some of the difficulties, some of the challenges, some of the great things that you could do. And as is tradition now with this podcast, Adam, you and I have both come up with three interesting, unique encounters to throw at our moving caravan, our large envoy of the Black Ink Union. So let's let's grab our dice, let's roll, and we'll uh, cover these encounters. Sound good? Sounds like a plan. Okay. Um, I got an eight. I got a 19. I'm telling you, man. All right. I guess you could go first. Uh, this, this die is treating me well. I'm at flood last time, but I'm okay. Overall, you're, <laughs> hold on. I, I'm going to give him a little pets. Good boy. Okay. So. Stop stroking your dice and. Uh, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> the warrior and the mage are both going to get challenged to show to shows of force while they're traveling. I think that it makes perfect sense. I want a role play to combat encounter. It's been a while since we've had one of those. And I, I was really looking to mix it up to say, you know what? It makes sense that the warrior is going to get into a wrestling match, right? There's going to be other guys who are like, oh, I'm tougher than you. You don't look all that special. And then it gives you the opportunity to throw fisticuffs, right? To have yeah. the little unofficial, like tonight, we're going to box, right? We're not looking to do real damage. No one's going to die. But this is your opportunity to to actually interact and get a little bit of that combat bug out of your system. It's going to start off with a bunch of bragging rights. I think that maybe the face of your party, whether it's a minstrel or an outdoorsman, like whoever it is, maybe the priest even, has to be kind of their barker. You know, the person is, oh, over here, at the, we have weighing this much and coming in at this height. And the person of the great renown, and they get to write a little speech introducing them, right? And I think that that's a fun role-playing, interesting thing that they can do. And everyone can sit around the table and be like, how do we make this guy sound really awesome? And then, no magic allowed, here we go have this fight. And and then I think that they can get into into a fist fight. It's it starts off as simple bragging rights among friends um and uh and it's fr- it's friendly contests of of might and power. But there are these friendly rivals that you have all around you that you are going to be contesting with. Sometimes you beat them and they're very happy about it or maybe now you've pissed them off and they become dangerous allies. Right? Like they're still with you for now, but the the moment someone else has their back turned, you may end up with a knife in your back. But I don't yeah. want it to just be the warrior because that's so straightforward. I also want it to be the mage so that there's some other mage that's, that's there. Some sorcerer magician who is like, oh yeah, 
Yeah, you can cast Fireball. Well, I can cast this, right? And so there would be these almost, almost a magic show. It's not so much slinging combat spells at each other. These are going to be, well, I can turn, a, uh, I can pull a rabbit from a hat. I can turn that, yeah. that Octo camel into a blue whale. I could like, and just, just like <laughs> whatever it is. And you guys are trying to one up each other. And, and again, you would have to have someone else take the limelight to introduce maybe someone to be the assistant. And so, um, there are, there's this, this combat feel to it. You're still on initiative casting spells. You're still blowing your spell slots, but that's it's at the end of the day. You know, you got a long rest coming. You're going to heal up. The warrior's going to heal up. The mage is going to get their spell slots back. This is going to work out in your favor in the long run, but it's neat and it's interesting and it's not quite downtime because you are still in initiative. And who knows? Maybe you piss off the other mage enough that he whips an, an Eldritch Blast at the back of your head and now shit's getting real, right? So that, that's what I want to see. I want to see more of that level of uh, of interaction. The who Who's flexing their muscles at whom? And, and keep in mind, we're level four now. So we've got some muscles to flex and a, a lot of guys just hit level four and we've got an entire session here where combat's not really going to be that big of a thing. And I know that people are going to want to use these new abilities that they just got, whether it be through a feat or an ASI or if they're multi-classing or whatever it is. This gives them the opportunity to use those with, I mean, pulling their punches a little bit because you definitely don't want to kill caravan guards and, and uh, you know, practice brawl. And if I can be if I can be totally honest on this, I chose warrior and mage because it's difficult for criminals to have a public display of who's a better criminal. It's difficult to have outdoorsmen have public displays i don't know i mean you can have you can have shooting contests with your outdoorsmen if they're an archer you can have uh tumbling contests with like mages and and uh, sorry with uh with your criminal characters who will tend to be the more dexterous ones so there could be tumbling and gymnastics competitions or something yeah i just have trouble seeing preachers preaching trying to out preach each other like i'm sure i'm sure i don't i've i was raised in the church man i have no issue imagining that i've seen it frequently just like it's it's the one preacher preaching and then the other preacher stands up and goes well actually in this one chapter it says this and now they're arguing systematic theology and let's be completely honest those conversations could go for hours. Right, but that is not an interesting combat encounter. What you're talking about is skill challenges now, right? Because you're not dealing in initiative, right? This is yeah, that's fair. this is role playing to combat where you start off having to to boost your own ego and then putting your money where your mouth is with initiative. Where you're not just waiting your turn to do gymnastics or shooting at that target over there. Well, I would say shooting at the target over there, that like an archery contest or a knife throwing competition or something like that would fit in this as well. Uh, again, you're you're not one on one. There's ten guys in a line, so that's a skill challenge. You're you're not waiting on your turn in initiative for for one round. You are sitting here waiting your your turn. Generally speaking, well, the DM narrates and rolls ton of dice to see how well everyone else does that's that's less interesting so i would i would still keep this as the warrior and the mage as a general rule if the players want to go off and do these things that's fine but that's not a dynamic encounter let's be honest we got some downtime here but i want to give the party a mission with their downtime and when you have a large caravan when you have a large envoy you tend to have lots of carts and um, one of the things I would have definitely given my party who's part of this mercantile guild is their own cart. And now they have the time and supplies to kind of make it their own. 
give them the freedom to make this thing weird in some respects, right? Like give it, I don't know, caltrips that it drops out of the back. Like go full like uh, James Bond with this, with your with your cart. Um, and I would give the party the downtime and the tools and everything available with them to make their cart theirs. And then when this journey is over and the caravan moves on, they keep their cart. However, they could also, and I, I, that was, that was a warning to other DMs who go, okay, now that you've made this badass thing, I'm taking it away. Don't be that guy. Give it to them. They've put the time, the effort in, they keep it. Um, Every party wants their own Batmobile. Every party wants their own Batmobile. So this is your opportunity now to build it. So have fun. Now, as the DM, I would definitely uh, try to constrain this a little bit because imaginations can run wild. But I don't know, man. Like you're in a large scale mercantile caravan. You have supplies. You have time. And you have skill. Get to it. Okay, so for my next one, I would say that, look, it's the party's turn to scout ahead and to make sure the road is clear. This has come up in the duty roster. It's their turn. They're moving ahead. And they're coming up on this scouting ahead thing more often than anyone else because, again, it's their home turf. The problem is when they get back um, with news of strange tracks in the desert or whatever it is that they've come across, when they come back, they find that the caravan, all of the structures are there, all of the beasts are there, but all of the people are gone. And the caravan's been abandoned, just as if everyone dropped. They find, like, like food is still out. People that were eating. There are little water skins that are still abandoned. They're finding clothes of people in some cases. And and it's it's very strange. But And it turns out that the Darklings that we met the first time that we came through and we were chasing Lachlan's lot, the Darklings are back with polymorph wands. And the party now has to find and rescue all of the polymorph people of the caravan that are just now scattering animals that are moving out into the the desert, possibly never to be heard from again. Yikes. So there, this is going to be an exploration to exploration because you're doing your scouting, you're coming back, you're looking around. You, you get to talk to the Darklings for a moment and they're going to realize that, oh, oh, they're with you guys? Oh, we like you guys. We just, there was a lot of trembling. It, it, There's a lot of hooves uh, and, and it was shaking the dust down from our ceilings and our tunnels. We came out here to just stop the daywalkers. And and so they did it in nonviolent means. They don't have to kill anybody. There's like, look, scorpions are quiet. Everyone's going to be a scorpion now. And now you have to run around and find everybody. And so this is going to be a whole bunch of different uh, animals as well. Because I like the idea of, like, how do you deal with the ones that get turned into vultures and are, like, circling a mile overhead? Yeah. How do you get them down here, right? All right, fine. Kill one of the horses. Go out 100 feet to the right. Kill one of the horses. Step back and wait for them to come down. You've got to think outside the box on this, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun trying to track down some couple hundred of these of these creatures. And like I say, it's exploration, so you don't have to one at a time work your way through. You can pick them up in groups. Get some animals that are like pack animals. You find a whole whack of coyotes. I also like the idea if you do find the occasional like snake, you're like, oh, I wonder who this is, and and you smack it upside the head enough to kill the snake, and and it doesn't pop back into a human. It's just now a dead snake. <laughs> so I, I think, uh, or are you flip it on the head, and it's like an ogre that was polymorphed years ago? And you're like, ah, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, oops, whoa, this this was this was bad. <laughs> um, but I I like the idea too that the more of these people that you rescue, the more that they're going to be able to help you as well. How long is it going to take for you to find Tremblay? 
How long is it going to take for you to find the leader of the guild? And what happens if you don't? Yep. And I'm not saying they go out there and die never to be heard from again. Maybe, possibly, if they, if you want to run that kind of campaign where it's harsh and unforgiving, go nuts. But maybe in five or six sessions or whatever, when you end up getting back to Sandspit, you find a very, very shaken, very upset and very sunburned Tremblay sitting in his own living room going, never again, never leaving the walls of the city, right? And uh, <laughs> I remember being the frog, right? Like, and, and you can you can have these experiences and I think it's going to be a lot of fun to uh, to do something that's a little bit wackier and we're playing with the magic and it's fantastic. And we're also getting a callback to one of the previous encounters. Like, I want to see more water mages out here as well, but I don't have a, a dynamic encounter. I just think that every once in a while they ambush someone. Yep. Or all of a sudden all the water skins go dry and it's the water mage's fault. So you got to fight them, but that's not dynamic. I just want, I want recurring challenges. So that, that's my answer. Uh, for my second one here, I, I, ha I love the idea of things happening in the wagon, uh, the covered wagons that might not want to be revealed to the rest of the caravan. Um, and in this, I have a exploration to combat encounter where you make friends with one of these apprentice wizards who's trying to figure out this, you know, magic puzzle box that they managed to pick up on the way to Sandspit in one of these ruined caverns that we've seen these these ancient ruins and he's picked up this puzzle box and he's trying to figure it out which you know is never a good idea i've seen hellraiser uh, a few times working on little <laughs> puzzle boxes that you find in the middle of nowhere it rarely tends to be a good thing and um your party is there you're trying to help him figure out this puzzle box or tell him not to do it but um for this encounter your party helps him and um with it a spirit uh a weakened genie or something. This thing's been inside this box for a long time. Explodes out into the this covered wagon, and uh, your party must do battle with it in their minds because I, I don't want anything outside of this to be affected. And uh, when they're done, this puzzle box clicks back together to its form. It settles on the ground, and there is a selection of like silvered ancient like scimitars and falchions and and these these themed weapons that were given as a gift by this creature that you freed which I don't necessarily want to be malevolent I I I just I just want it to be this one little encounter and then your party kind of looks at each other the purple smoke evaporates out of the back of the uh caravan and they go so we're not telling anybody about this right we just have these weapons now and they're like yeah yeah and everyone grabs their weapon and goes their own way um, it's this fun little encounter that hopefully teaches an NPC and your players a lesson to not just randomly try to open up ancient puzzle boxes that they find in the middle of ruins. But I would I would definitely stress reward them for this. Whenever you start doing things that happen in your mindscape, and I would I would lay the terrain out as this interesting mindscape looking place. But the second you start doing that, you run the risk of people going, oh, it happened in their dreams. Yay. No, give them a reward for this. Yes, the, these weapons need to become manifest, right? Like they, they need to come into the world. This was a djinn. Yeah. Right? Like they can do this. You're dealing with high high powered magic. So yeah. So why not? I, I I I appreciate that. I like that. Also, if you are going to play with the mysterious puzzle box in the middle of the desert, you have whatever's coming to you. And I have no sympathy. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs>
Okay, so for my my last one, I, I was I spoke earlier about the idea of there being animals that are attracted to you and there being like dogs and carrion birds and, and scavengers and whatnot. But that many feet walking, I mean, the darklings heard you. What else underground heard you? Here it is. A purple worm has appeared. You're level four. This thing will murder the whole party in in well we have five people so five rounds um this thing will this is a death spiral waiting to happen but you've got at least a couple dozen other guards with you and everyone is going to be picking up swords and wands to to knock this thing down all hands on deck defensive battle stations help the guards protect the merchants help the merchants protect themselves Keep the guild leader safe as this thing play. You're essentially playing whack-a-mole. Yeah. And instead of this being combat, we're going to do this with skill challenge. It's going to let you create a little bit more havoc and chaos as, as this thing pops up in the middle and eats one of the camels and it smashed one of the carts and then it disappears on the next round. Someone gets to roll a check to see what happened, right? And maybe maybe two people and then all of a sudden it's gone again. And now it's, it's over here and you can see the dunes moving. What is the what is the priest going to do, right? And you can, you can do all sorts of crazy things as this chaos breaks out and the entire caravan gets attacked by a purple worm, but you don't have to be an initiative for it you ju- you're just running a skill challenge and everybody gets their turn to help out and eventually after a certain amount of time this thing will either escape because they failed too many times or it'll be killed because they succeeded so many times so um i i really enjoy the idea of the skill challenge um against the gigantic monster and the purple worm in the desert is just it just screams beetlejuice to me and it makes me happy. <laughs> really? It doesn't scream Dune to you? I've never seen Dune because I have standards. I mean, rude. Well, okay, look, if I'm going to if I'm gonna explore Dune, I'm going to read it because apparently neither of the movies did it justice. So I'll watch anything it, with Patrick Stewart in it. Is Patrick Stewart in it? Yeah, he plays uh, a fairly key badass role in the original one. Like, I highly recommend it. You not seeing Dune is a bit scandalous to me. Oh, well, all right then. I'll, I'll put that on the list. For my final encounter here, your party has reached their destination and could either be still sitting in the caravan themselves or or now the caravan is starting to disperse um, and the city has hit this huge influx of people, which is always going to be a trying time for a city. But this is when your guild leader is going to want to talk to you separately. So either he does it in his wagon, in his covered wagon, um, or, or he goes back to the, you know, Black Ink Union Guildhouse to do this uh, conversation. And um, in it, he starts talking to your party. And this is when he truly wants to sit down and discuss what happened with Lachlan's Lot with you. This is my role-playing to role-playing encounter because the second you start giving out this information about all of these resources that Lachlan Lot had and and all of these random warehouses that they had lying around full of weapons and armor and stuff that they kept on trying to utilize, the Guildmaster is going to snap his fingers and be like, I know we need to talk to somebody. And he's going to open a secret door that your party has never seen, never heard. And inside is going to be this massive room that is full of books and coin and chests and ledgers. And um, you are now introduced to the banker, who is this wizened gnome character, who is the main advisor to the guild leader. And he is going to give the party some sort of new push forward to figure out that Lachlan's Lot was an investigations guild and never really had 
the means to fund a lot of the things that they were doing. So you're going to now need to find who was bankrolling them. And and this banker character is going to be the money behind the Mercantile Guild. He's going to be one of these characters that is very distant, removed, has his own little role, but is integral to the operation of the guild. And this helps you build out your knowledge of how your guild is run. I think this is really important as well, because as we look forward, we know that, okay, we're level four now. Um, we're coming to the end of of tier one. We're going to start dropping the hints really quickly now about um, what's happened to the capital city. We know that we're headed to the Underdark. We're dealing with Underdark people back and forth, guerrilla warfare. There's going to be Drow. There's going to be Duragar. We know that we're going to be put on our back foot here, and there's going to be a whole lot of combat coming. Yep. And I think that it's going to be... I, I dropped, um, I think it was in the last episode, that as uh, as Lachlan's uncle gets taken away in handcuffs, assuming that they left him alive, um, that maybe he is an NPC that is captured. They find him at one of the internment camps of the Drow later. And you're going to have these... these allies that you've got to work with and having you're dropping a plot hook real early to say who's funding this the what are the major players in the background uh are there more weapons and stuff out there because you guys as freedom fighters will need to find this stuff yeah right you're gonna need this and this is a great way we are not undermining at all the catharsis that we did in the last session what we're doing is we're saying there are weird resources there's a little there's some plot hooks out there and then once a session, you drop something little until this pops up in a big way. I don't know, level eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there, right? Like th- there, there should be something, some major um, reveal that comes from this. And this is the very beginning of you dropping little hints. Uh, and I absolutely love this for the long, the long haul, the the long game, your yeah. five year plan, right? Like this is a lot of fun for. Um, for not just wrapping up Lock Lazat and having a little denouement at the end, but by actually having um, a little bit more of a plot hook, which could turn into something massive if the players remember to pull at this thread. Now that we've finished our travels, it's time to take off our worn down boots and kick up our feet for a few days. This will give us a chance to refill the gas tanks of our imaginations and recharge some mental batteries. Tune in next week when we start to explore the rural side of our medieval fantasy setting. Thanks for listening to this episode of the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit, and more. And contact us at info at It's a Mimic.com. Because we would love to hear your thoughts on how you would use this episode in your own homebrew campaign. I'm Adam. And I'm Dan. And we'll be back with more prep work next week. Have giant camels, mm-hmm. dire camels, and uh, camels, camels. You could have camels, camels, but you you could also have uh, camel, camels. Sounds like like a noise that a muppet would make. By the way, <laughs> oh waka waka, <laughs> ah, camel, camel. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be one of the only noises my next kenku can make. Okay, bye.